What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Agun and the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. Hope you're good, hope you're well. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal's disappointing defeat up at Goodison Park. An opportunity missed, really, to really turn up the heat on Manchester City ahead of their trip to Spurs this weekend, which theoretically is a difficult game. Some are saying that, you know, maybe Spurs will... Um, not be as fussed about the outcome, given what it would mean for Arsenal if they were to pick up a positive result. But to me, you know, Spurs are in the hunt for a Champions League place and desperately need points for themselves. So I don't really buy into all of that. But as I say, this would have been a great opportunity, wouldn't it, for Arsenal to have really turned up the heat on Manchester City and put them under immense pressure going into that big, big game tomorrow. But we couldn't do it. We failed. We struggled. Uh, we ended up getting beaten by an Everton side that probably on the day deserved to take all three points. I'd said all week that this was going to be a difficult game. Uh, for no, at, well, at no point was I under any illusions about how difficult this trip to Goodison Park was going to be. Um, you know, you look at sort of the fact that they've been sort of really struggling and going through a horrible time as a football club, not just on the pitch, but off it as well protests outside Goodison Park in the lead up to the game and you just felt like given where they were as fans and supporters they just needed something from their team on the pitch to kind of galvanize them and to give them something to shout about it's been a long long time since they've been able to kind of be there and be in good voice and really have something to shout and sing and dance about and Sean Dyche coming in was always likely to give them that and Look, I know a lot of people thought that Arsenal were going to go there and blow them away, given that we're sitting top of the Premier League and that Everton were 19th, etc., etc. But, yeah, this was always going to be a difficult trip. This is always going to be a difficult game. Goodison Park, when they get going, can sort of create a really good atmosphere. And I think that the, the players' performance contributed to that. And I said, didn't I, in the build-up, that for me, it was really important Arsenal started the game well. It was really important that Arsenal capitalised or cashed in or took advantage of the insecurities that Everton will have undoubtedly had going into this game as a football team. You can say whatever you like about Sean Dyche coming in. You can talk about the fact that, you know, they bought into what he's doing. He was speaking pre-game, talking about how receptive the players had been to kind of his ideas and his methods so far. You can talk about that all you like, but there's no question about it. Everton going into the game will have been suffering from a bit of an inferiority complex. And the problem is that when you don't start fast and you don't start well in a game like that, what you then do is you give the opponent reason to believe, reason to be optimistic, reason to be positive. And we did that because I didn't think that at any point today we were our usual dominant selves. Yeah, we had spells where we had lots of the ball, but what did we really do with it? Did we make enough chances? No, we didn't. Did we penetrate the Everton back line anywhere near often enough. No, we didn't. But you've got to give Everton credit for that as well, because I thought they were uh, sort of set up very, very well, um, very committed, doubling up on certain players. They clearly had a plan for Saka, for Martinelli and for Odegaard as well, it looked like. And, you know, they executed it really, really well. And it just wasn't our day today. We're going to go into the ins and outs of it and we'll we'll get into sort of individual performances. We'll do all of that. And we'll take some of your thoughts and questions, of course, uh, from the live chat. But I just want to say this before we go any further. Some of the reaction I'm reading to this online is ridiculous. It really, really is. Arsenal are in a great place as a football club at the moment. Arsenal are on an upward trajectory. The fact that we're reacting to this result like this and, and feel so disappointed about it is because we all know that Arsenal can be 10 times better than that. And we all know that Arsenal can... Um, you know, can play at a much higher standard. That's where the disappointment comes from with me. 
You know, I'm not sitting here saying Arteta is useless and Arteta messed it up or this player needs to be banished or that player is no good and that player cost us. There are a couple of players that are being made the scapegoats based on what I can see on social media. And we'll get onto that a little bit later on. But I just want to make it clear that the overreaction, it's totally unnecessary. You know, we could go out there next week, beat Brentford and, and get back on it, you know, and that's what the focus has got to be on now. We could um, watch Manchester City get beat tomorrow and then there's no damage done. So let's kind of see how this plays out before uh, we sort of overreact. As Sephiroth says, uh, Harry and his deluded opinions, yet here you are on every stream tuning in. Um, if you don't like it, mate, you know where you can go. <laughs> You're here on every stream. You literally comment on like every video calling me deluded, calling me this, calling me that. I shouldn't even rise to it. But if you're sitting here on your Saturday night, mate, watching something that you believe is deluded, then I think it says more about you. But anyway, let's move on. Um, so, yeah, look, I think the overreaction is unnecessary. It's not needed. We don't need to all of a sudden sort of want to undo all the kind of positive feeling that has been built around the club over the last year to 18 months there is lots to be positive about there's lots to be optimistic about it's only our second defeat of the season the first since early September and this is the nature of the Premier League this is why the Premier League is so great this is why it is um, the best league in world football because these types of results they can happen and they can happen quite often they can happen quite frequently let's start with the team uh, as we always do Mikel Arteta picked exactly the team that I think pretty much 99.9% .9 of the fan base would have gone with. There was uh, a feeling, um, a concern uh, around, uh, you know, uh, around sort of Thomas Partey and his fitness. What was that going to mean? Um, you know, would he be fit enough to play? A, would, how long would he last? B, um, and obviously when we saw his name on the team sheet, we were pretty pleased with that. I do think the reason he came off in the game which is one of the big contentious decisions, clearly, based on what people are saying in the chat uh, that Mikel Arteta made. I do think the reason he came off was because he wasn't 100% fit. I don't think under any other circumstances, Mikel Arteta removes such an important part of our team unless he felt he had to, unless he felt that he was taking a risk with him moving forward. Look, it, it just wasn't our day from the off, okay? I think you could see that from really, really early on in the game. And... You know, there is a, a want and a willingness to win the game, obviously. But do you allow that desperation to win a game overshadow uh, your... Do you allow it to overshadow kind of what you think is best? Do you allow it to take over what your logic is telling you? And the logic would have told Mikel Arteta today that given Thomas Partey's injury that he picked up last week, given the fact that he wasn't really at the races today, I didn't think he played all that well. Should you stick with him? Should you keep him on and run the risk of doing further damage and losing him when it really, really matters? You know, I, I, I think that the the parte decision, the decision to take him off, I think is fine. I'm not issue. I've not got an issue with that. I know some people have. I don't. Uh, Sephiroth has kindly donated um, to to have a go at me. Didn't you say Jorginho was excellent? Jorginho wasn't the reason we didn't win today, mate. And anybody that thinks he was must have been watching a different game because Arsenal were poor up until the point Jorginho came onto the pitch and didn't really improve after that. And that's that's the bottom line. You know, you can sit there and you can say that the substitutions were the problem and you can sit there and say that, um, you know, that Trossard wasn't impactful and that Jorginho weakened us, etc., etc. Say that all you like. Say it until the cows come home. The bottom line is that Arsenal weren't good at any point in today's game. At no point did Arsenal show us the level that we've seen um, from them throughout the duration of this season, for the most part of this season so far. We just didn't get that level of performance full stop. And it's not because of Jorginho as an individual. It's not because of Trossard as an individual. It's not because of Saka as an individual. It's not because of Odegaard. It's because of the collective. The collective wasn't good enough today. We'll come on to break it down in terms of individuals in a bit, but let me just quickly go back to what I was saying about Thomas Partey. He was touch and go for this game. Mikel Arteta took the decision to play him, but I think you could see that he wasn't quite at the races. He was a little bit sloppy in possession, and I don't think he was 
quick enough across the ground in terms of you know what he can normally do. I, d- I don't think he was as sharp as he normally is. I think his decision-making was a little bit off. It just wasn't his day. And the problem for Arsenal today was that too many people had that kind of day. Um, you know, too many people had that kind of day. And, and we'll run through the team in a minute. But if you want my player ratings uh, following this one, you can visit uh, the Chronicles of Aguna Premium on the Another Slice app. Uh, or the Another Slice website. If you go to anotherslice.com forward slash Chronicles of Aguna, you can sign up. Once you're signed up, you can log into your account and you can access it via the website or via the app. If you prefer, uh, you can also get the custom RSS feed and plug it into wherever you get your podcasts. And our post-match player ratings episode following this Everton game is out and is available to you guys now. So let's run through the team then. Um should we run through the team or should we run through the kind of big incidents? I mean, the only big incident really was the goal. Let's let's go with that first. Let's go with the goal. Um, again, a lot of people. And I, and I was having a, an argument with my dad while we were watching it. Um, you know, he was saying the substitutions were a big problem and they unsettled us. And, and that's why, uh, you know, we ended up going behind. The substitutes were on the pitch for a matter of seconds before that goal went in. Literally a matter of seconds. So to suggest that they were the reason that we conceded that goal is, I think, far-fetched. To suggest that they were the reason that we didn't win this game is is also far-fetched, in my opinion. I mean, you could kind of make the case that you might have thought or might have felt that Arsenal were in a better state prior to those changes happening. But you'll never really know because Everton score within seconds of those players coming onto the pitch. And then instantly, automatically, the game state is completely different. Now you've got an Everton side who were slowly, slowly growing in confidence throughout the game, peaking in terms of their confidence. You've got an Everton crowd even more behind them than they were at any point prior in the game because they've got a lead and they've got something to hold on to. So the game state after going a goal down is different to the game state at nil-nil. And so it's really difficult to quantify in any way whether or not the substitutes weakened us. We needed to bolster the squad in January. We needed that. It had to happen. We had to bring in players that weren't necessarily better than the first 11 because then they'd be in the first 11. That You know, Jorginho isn't better than Thomas Partey, but he's better than Lukonga and he's better than Elneny in that position. Trossard is not better than Martinelli, in my opinion, but he's better than some of the alternatives, the Marquinhos's, you could argue the Reese Nelsons as well, in terms of people that we were going to be able to bring in off of the bench. We've bolstered the squad. The first 11 is still the first 11, and that shouldn't be changed. But there will be times where you can't go through entire games with that first 11. Football is very, very much a squad game now, and we're going to have to make those changes. Those two signings, as far as I'm concerned, have still strengthened us. My only worry and my only concern is that having them available confuses Mikel Arteta a little bit. Is there now a great temptation to make changes when actually they're not always needed because of the fact that you've got these two guys available to justify the fact that you've brought these two players into the squad? So, Jorginho today. If if Jorginho isn't at Arsenal, is there an argument that maybe Thomas Partey stays on the pitch for another 10 minutes, another 15 minutes, and then maybe the game pans out differently? You could make that argument, but it's an argument based purely on opinion and not at all on fact. And that's the important thing here. Yeah, You can have a view of what may or may not have occurred, but it isn't, that there's nothing to, to kind of confirm that. There's nothing to, you know, confirm that theory. It's, it, it is exactly that theory. So that's what I don't want. I don't want us to be unsettled by having more options. I don't want, you know, I, I used to have it when I used to play football manager. I know this is not the same, but the point I'm trying to make here is bear with me is that when you have loads of options, there is a temptation to change things earlier than when you don't have multiple options and when you don't believe or trust in the alternatives that you have at your disposal. So we've got to see. Um, we've got to see how this is going to play out. But listen, it's our second Premier League defeat of the season. If you'd have told me at the start of the season that we'd be, you know, in February and this would only be our second defeat, I would have laughed you out of the room, genuinely. Because... You know, it, it Arsenal have achieved or, or have performed at a level that has surpassed anything that any one of us expected. 
And so, yes, we give them their praise when they do it right. And we criticize when they get it wrong. And we look at some of the decisions and we look at some of the performances and we look at, you know, what went wrong and what we could have done better. But it doesn't mean that we all of a sudden turn on our team. One of the best things about supporting Arsenal this season has been the fact that there is this togetherness, that there is this, you know, unity among the players, obviously with their manager, with the people behind the scenes, but also with us as fans. And we shouldn't be seeking to destroy that every time we lose a game of football. You know, I say that as if we've lost loads of games of football this season. We haven't, not in the Premier League. And so, you know, let's let's take it on the chin and let's focus on Brentford. But talking about the goal that Everton scored, it was a goal from a set piece. I, I don't really know how we ended up in that position. I know that zonal marking is a thing. Um, and I know that that is something that modern coaches like to implement. But if you watch the goal back again, you'll see that Tarkovsky sort of starts on Bukayo Saka and then he sort of shakes him off and then he gets passed on to Martin Odegaard, who just doesn't have the strength really to beat him in the air. And, you know, there's an argument that Saliba was kind of held back in his jump uh, by an opposition player and that maybe prevents him getting something on the ball before it reaches Tarkovsky. I don't know, maybe I'm nitpicking there, but, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that the goal should have been ruled out, but there's a number of reasons why Arsenal concede that goal. And and the problem is, and, and the thing that people seem to ignore when they point solely at the changes and solely at the substitutions is that Everton had shown us that threat already. Everton had shown us during the game that they posed a threat. They were a lot more direct than us. Uh, they were a lot more efficient than us. That's the word that Mikel Arteta used to describe it. And I think he got that spot on. Balls into the penalty area were put in with quality. You know, having a focal point like Dominic Calvert-Lewin gave them the ability to do that. We don't have that. We don't have that whether it's Gabriel Jesus up front, and we certainly don't have it when it's Eddie Nketiah up front. Everton have something different. This was a victory for Everton made in Burnley. You know, it was Dwight McNeil's corner turned in by James Tarkovsky at the far post. A Dyson tarkovsky combination. You just knew it was coming. It was like it was written in the stars. But we conceded that goal and that was poor and you don't want to concede goals like that. But we'd also been giving up really good chances in the game. And that's why when we went behind and everybody went, oh my God, Mikel Arteta's changed it and now we've gone behind. I wasn't surprised. That was coming with or without Thomas Partey on the pitch. That goal was coming. Look at what happened in the first half. You know, the opportunities that they fashioned when we were sloppily turning over possession in midfield. There was the one whipped across the face of goal that Dominic Calvert-Lewin missed by the length of a stud. There was a free header in the middle of the box for someone. I wonder if it was Onana. I can't quite remember where, you know, he was in the middle of the goal and he just got it horribly, horribly wrong. There was another header that was flashed wide of the post. They had been finding room inside our penalty area. They'd been winning over possession and they'd been really effective in the turnovers and getting into good areas and causing us problems. So when they'd done us from a set piece, everybody was turning around, looking at each other, wondering how on earth this had happened. Well, it was coming because we didn't defend those situations well enough from the first minute. We didn't create well enough from the first minute. We didn't hold possession well enough from the first minute. There just seemed to be this lackluster sluggishness to Arsenal's game today where the ball was not moved at a quick enough tempo in order to break a team down. When a team sits deep, I always say this to you guys, you need to move the ball quickly. That's how you pull them out of position. And then when you do make those switches of play, you've done it so quickly and so sharply and you've lured people in, you've then got space to work within those wide areas. And today, Bakayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli both struggled for space. They really, really did. Martinelli looked a bit better in the second half when he tried to drift in field and get involved a little bit more that way. But even still, he was largely ineffective as well this afternoon. You know, that's that's the truth. So the goal, bad defending, could have been defended a lot better, obviously avoidable, obviously preventable, as most goals are. But was I surprised by it? Was I shocked by it? No, I wasn't. Um, and and the, the point I keep sort of homing back to here is we weren't good enough before the goal and we weren't good enough after the goal. This was just an all-round bad performance, I thought, from Arsenal. We'll go through some of the individuals now. We'll talk a little bit about Ben White, who I've spoken about this season as, as one of my 
favourite players. You know, someone I think who's shown incredible consistency and a level that, I'll be honest, I didn't think he had. You know, I, I didn't. Like, I was impressed by Ben White last season, but I didn't think he would go on and make himself literally one of the top three, four defenders in the league. And I genuinely believe, based on his performances throughout the duration of the season, he's he's up there. But today he wasn't at it. Today he was sloppy on the ball. He gave it away a few times. He wasn't as supportive to Bukayo Saka, um, sort of going on the outside. He certainly didn't get close to him on the inside. He didn't tuck in enough and help out in midfield. You know, other players that weren't at it today, Thomas Partey, but we've explained the reasons. I don't want to go too hard on Thomas Partey because I know he was half fit. Martin Odegaard, Everton clearly, clearly, clearly did a job on him today and did it very, very well. He was unable to really get on the ball in that inside right position that he likes to pop up in and the position from which he often does his most damage. He wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't at it today. Martinelli limited to very little. Bukayo Saka the same. Um, you know, Enketia was anonymous, I thought. You know, Xhaka wasn't great either. I thought the two best players were probably Gabriel and Ramsdale, maybe. It, you know, Saliba was okay as well. I don't think he'd done an awful lot wrong, but it's hard for me to look at both the centre-halves and say you were brilliant when I referenced earlier how many moments Everton managed to create in and around our penalty area, especially in the first half. But yeah, look, we take it on the chin. We move on. We focus on... Um, we focus on Brentford. We go out there, we get the three points, we get back on track. And look, who knows? If results go our way tomorrow, you know, we could be looking at this and saying, well, yeah, there, there's certainly no need to panic. I think there's no need to panic anyway, because this was always going to happen. You know, Arsenal had achieved 50 points in the first half of the season. How many times did I come on here and tell you that that was definitely not sustainable, that there was going to come a period where we dropped points? And today we dropped points. The key is that this doesn't linger over us and this doesn't hang over us for any period of time. You know, at the end of the day, City have dropped points this season and probably will drop more. We are certainly going to drop more. And it's it's about keeping your cool and keeping your nerve. When these types of performances come along, everybody was disappointed. You could see that on their faces. Mikel Arteta too. I liked what he said post-match. I like the fact that he sort of backed his players and sort of stuck up for his players and said, you know, I, I, you know, it's not just about, um, you know, being with these guys and taking all the plaudits when they're winning. It's about sticking with them when it gets tough. And, you know, this was a tough day for Arsenal. This was a tough moment for Arsenal. But, you know, you're going to have these in a season. That's how it goes. You have to be able to bounce back from them and not allow this to turn into a rot. Like if we go on and, and drop points against Brentford next week and then we drop points against Manchester City, then that will be our undoing. That will be Arsenal coming unstuck. But a one-off defeat... I mean, look how we responded to the last defeat in the Premier League. You know, so there's reason to believe now that this team have the minerals and the character and the cojones, if you like, to be able to deal with these setbacks and come back strong from them. And because we've seen that, because we've seen ourselves deal with setbacks, not just this season, but in terms of in-game as well, I think you have to give them the benefit of the doubt at this stage. You have to believe that they can get back on track. You have to believe that they can go out there and beat Brentford next week and not get caught up in this wave of negativity that seems to follow every single time. And listen, some people in the chat won't like this, what I'm about to say, but I'm going to bloody say it anyway. You know why? Because I can. Um, there are people out there that were so anti-Mikel Arteta that they haven't known what to do with themselves all season. Not just Arsenal fans, but people in the wider football world, people who said that he was a championship level manager, people that said Arsenal were going nowhere under his management. There are so many people out there that have been so anti Mikel Arteta, so negative towards the work he has done. That, as I say, they've not known where to put their faces all season. And the first sign of trouble, the first sign of a disappointing performance, they tried to come out after the Southampton draw. Um, you know, they've come out again today. Here we are. Let's have a go at Mikel Arteta. Let's criticise the transfer business. Let's criticise this. Let's criticise that. Be constructively critical. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's fine. I think that's healthy. But some of the people just coming out of the woodwork because we've lost the game today um, and will probably disappear again once we get back into our rhythm and flow. It's, it, you know, that's, it, it drives me nuts. Like, 
listen, I talked about the Jorginho signing and I said I thought it was an okay signing. I thought it was a decent signing. I thought it was a signing that made sense given the circumstances. I talked a lot about how the terms needed to be right. That was key for me. And when we found out the details of the deal, I was quite happy with the, with that. I was quite happy with um, the sort of outcome there. You may think that Jorginho is, is rubbish. You may think he's poor. You might think he's not the solution. You might not want him anywhere near our football club. And if that is your opinion, that is a fair opinion to have. I don't agree with it, but it's a fair opinion to have. I'm not going to shoot anybody down for having that opinion. What I will do, though, is say that if you're basing... Um, if you're basing whether he's a good fit for Arsenal on what you saw today when he was thrown in because Thomas Partey was not fit, not ideal circumstances, away at an Everton side that were galvanised, that were buoyant, that were buzzing under Sean Dyche and that probably played their best game of the last three seasons, then I think you're being harsh. And I think what you're doing is you're allowing a small sample of what you saw today to kind of fuel an agenda and an opinion that you already had. That's where I'm at with the whole Jorginho thing. If you don't think he's good enough, that's absolutely fine. But he wasn't the reason that we got beat today. He wasn't even on the pitch for a minute when Everton scored their goal. He wasn't on the pitch when Everton created the four best chances of the match. And he wasn't on the pitch for the first 60 minutes in which Arsenal created very, very little. Did we get better when he come on? Probably not. But it, it don't try and turn someone into a scapegoat. That's the kind of culture and, and negativity that we've had at Arsenal for so long. And we I thought we'd moved past that. But it only takes one result for those people to come out of the woodwork again. And it's crazy. It drives me mad. We'll probably break the game down a little bit more tactically tomorrow. Um, I'll probably spend a little bit of time trying to kind of well, once I watch it back, because I will watch it back, I always do watch the game back a second time. I'll try and kind of break down tactically what what it was that Arsenal didn't do as well as they normally do. And I think there's a couple of things that instantly come to mind. I don't think we exploited the half spaces well enough. I, I talked about the tempo of our passing and I thought that that caused us a problem in terms of trying to create our overloads on, on the left and on the right. I think there's a lot of things that you can look at and see, say that Arsenal didn't do them as well as they normally do, but it'll be nice to kind of break that down. So we will do that tomorrow uh, on the show. Uh, bear with me. It might be a, a slightly later one. I'm I'm at a christening tomorrow, so it might be a little bit late. Um, but yeah, uh, we will get that out to you guys. So yeah, I mean, obviously disappointed, obviously frustrated, obviously angry. You know, that's the, that's the initial feeling you get, isn't it, as a football fan when you lose a game of football? It's anger. Who can I take it out on? But then you look around, you look at that team, you look at how good they've been this season, you look at how good a job the manager's done. How can you be angry? You can't be angry. You can be disappointed. You can have concerns about how we bounce back from this. And, and you know, again, that's a valid concern to have. But I think, as I say, given what we've seen of this Arsenal team, up until this point in the season, I think you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Stay positive, stay on side, and we'll see where we are, um, you know, next uh, this time next Saturday after we play Brentford. Let's see. You know, Sam says in the chat, forgot what it feels like to lose in the Premier League. Exactly that. And the fact that someone would say that tells you how far this team have come. But football isn't always plain sailing. You know, you, you don't win every single game you go out and play. That's not how football works, and especially not in this league. So let's curb the reactions a little bit. Let's look at what we can do better next time out. You know, let's look at how we can improve. Let's look at how we can raise the bar again and and put this to one side. Don't dwell on it. Focus on Brentford. Uh, Rudy says, uh, but Harry, why do we have to sign a player who has such limitations? Why not sign an elite player who can push us and drive us in all and any circumstances? Why not hold the club to those standards? So, first of all, did any, like, even if we got Moises Caicedo, right? I'll answer me this question. Even if we got Moises Caicedo, would he have been better than Thomas Partey in that role? Because the truth is, no. The truth is nobody in the Premier League is as good 
as Thomas Partey at doing what Thomas Partey does for this Arsenal side. You can make the argument that Rodri's up there. You can make the argument that Casemiro's up there. But I think they're slightly different players. And I think the reason that Thomas Partey is so well suited is not just because of what he brings to the table defensively, but because of what he brings in terms of ball progression and all of that stuff. Moises Caicedo at 80 plus million pounds would not have been at the same level as Thomas Partey, isn't at the same level as Thomas Partey. So what does it take to go out, Rudy, in January and bring in a player of the same level as Thomas Partey? A hell of a lot. More than Arsenal clearly had available and more than Arsenal were willing to part with. Jorginho is a short-term fix. And you could argue that Leandro Trossard, okay, not as short-term a signing because of the, you know, the, the terms of the deal and because he's that little bit younger, et cetera, et cetera. But these were not Arsenal's first choice players. We know that. They didn't get the ones that we thought that they were going to get. They didn't get the ones that maybe they wanted to get first and foremost, but they clearly saw a need to strengthen the squad. And listen, again, if we get to the end of the season and Jorginho has some really poor performances and it doesn't work out, and that's partly why we don't go on and achieve what we're hoping to achieve, I promise you I will put my hands up and say, yeah, you know, I thought the signing was a good signing. I thought it was one that would work and it hasn't. I've got no problem in doing that. But to do that after, what, 25 minutes, 26 minutes on the pitch, what is going on? Like, what is going on? Like, it, that is, this is not the way to judge footballers and the way to judge things and the way to react to setbacks. You have to see how this pans out. You you have to watch how this develops. And, and when we see how it develops, you know, maybe five, six de games down the line, we'll be in a position to talk about Jorginho and whether he's a good fit for this team or not. But you can't base it on today. Come on. Come on. That's so reactionary, so knee-jerk. It really, really is. Uh, let's take this super chat from Diraj, who says, uh, Gaffer needs to help Martinelli. Sometimes he needs to play with Tierney who can provide overlapping runs and width. Um, I'm going to highlight that one. I'll come back to it in a second because I've got some thoughts on that. Um, just going to take a couple more of the super chats before I lose them from the screen. A big thank you to Diraj. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, I did. I thought I saw another one as well. Apologies. If you did put one in, uh, just ping me in the comments in capital letters, super chat, and so I can see your name and then I can go back and find it. Um, but yeah, so my thoughts on this whole uh, Martinelli thing. I, I think there's something in that. I, I do think that Martinelli is, he likes to keep the width in the team, doesn't he? He likes to, you know, start in wide areas, run into spaces, and he doesn't always get to do that when you know, teams set up in the way that Everton did today. So it's a very low block from Everton. Um, you know, they they were doubling up on both of our wide players. Tierney making an overlapping run, yeah, sure, would have probably diverted the attention away from Gabriel Martinelli at times. But Everton had a really industrial midfield and a really workmanlike midfield. And I felt that we needed Zinchenko to step in and help in midfield. And you know, if he didn't, then God knows how this would have gone because Thomas Partey, as we've said and established, and I think all agree on, wasn't at the races today. He wasn't at his best. In fact, nowhere near it. It's, we need to have a bit more variation at times to our game. Um, and, I, and I didn't think that Xhaka and Zinchenko occupied those half spaces in field. Um in the way that they normally do and as effectively as they normally do. And as a result of that, that made it more difficult for Martinelli. I also don't think Inketia gave him anything. I don't think Saka done anything on the other side. I don't think Odegaard used those spaces anywhere near, near as well as he normally does. So I'll keep going back to my original point, and it's that you can sit there and you can pinpoint which players you think were the problem but the truth is nobody was helped because the collect or nobody was able to perform because the level of the collective, generally speaking, was so poor. 
And when that is the case and you're not moving the ball quick enough and you're not moving it accurately enough and there is no rhythm and no tempo to your game, that has a knock-on effect on every single other player wearing red and white. And we saw that today. When I say that Martinelli wasn't that effective today, it's not me digging out Gabriel Martinelli. I think that it was a collective issue and he was a victim of that, just like a lot of other players out there on the pitch today. Diraj also says that Caicedo would have done better uh, than today's performance. Yeah, maybe, but that's Thomas Partey probably at his worst. And that's the point here. It's not easy to go out and find players that are going to come in and be better or as good as what you have. Um, you know, it just, yeah, it just, it's tough. It is really, really tough. Um, and Arsenal tried and, and thought that Caicedo was, a, was the answer, was the man, was the one not just for the here and now, but for the longer term, couldn't get that deal done. And so it turns to Jorginho and now people are going to scapegoat Jorginho because of that Chelsea connection, because of the fact that we've had players come from Chelsea before and not perform Let's judge Jorginho, though, as an individual case. And I, I, First of all, I don't think he was bad today, by the way. I don't think he's very quick across the ground. I wasn't surprised when I saw that uh, in the turnover and in the transition. That didn't shock me at all to see Jorginho not be a, a quick runner or a fast runner or a particularly strong sprinter. That is no surprise to me because I knew that. But I thought in possession, he was fairly tidy. I don't think he did an awful lot wrong. And that's why I can't understand where this pylon has come from. What's happened is that people who already had that negative opinion of him have used this to kind of fuel that and to try and justify the point. But the truth is you can't justify how good or bad a signing is, or you can't judge how good or bad a signing is in their first 30 minutes with a football club. And that's all Jorginho got today. Coming on under shit circumstances when we weren't playing very well, a difficult place to go. You know, It is what it is. If we're talking like this about Jorginho seven, eight games down the line, I'll probably agree with you. And I genuinely will. I'll hold my hands up. But yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say that it was a bad acquisition based on that. Because first of all, it wasn't bad enough to even be entertaining this discussion. And secondly, Jorginho is not the reason. No one individual today is the reason that Arsenal didn't win the game. The collective was poor and and not good enough. Uh, what else have we got in the chat? Uh, Harry, in your opinion, why do you think literally all saying that Jorginho is a smart and top signing, yet some fans disagree? And why do they think they know better than the pros? Everybody's entitled to their opinion. No, I've got no problem with that. It's the way that people express opinions that I think is is what has gotten out of hand and has gotten out of control in the world nowadays. You know, you can have an opinion and, you know, if you were sitting in front of somebody you would probably express an opinion about something in a civilized manner, in a respectful manner, and, and you do it properly. Whereas the problem with social media is that it's allowed people to basically hide behind dodgy names, um, fake pictures, avatars rather than pictures of their face, very often without you knowing their identity. And that's cool. Everyone's entitled to keep things private if they want. But it that that anonymity, anonymity, is that the word? That anonymity has given people this, I don't know what it is, like this, this encouragement to go beyond what's reasonable about people, to be able to slate people, hammer people without any fear of the consequences. Mike Tyson, I've said this to you guys many times, Mike Tyson famously said that the problem with social media is it's given people the ability to say things without getting a punch in the face. And whilst I don't condone violence, you know, it's it, people do get braver on social media. People do tweet things that they would never say to someone's face. People do post things and comments that they would never deliver to someone's face. And that's the problem that we have with social media right now. And I mean, this is not a lecture about social media, but I, I look, Jorginho could be a success. He could be a failure. And I'm open to the fact that both of those are possibilities. What I'm not having and what I'm struggling with is people saying that, well, after seeing him for 28, 30 minutes, they were vindicated in their vile abuse towards the guy um, just a few days ago. doesn't make sense. But anyway, uh, what else have we got? Um, 
Dial Square says, well, Harry, simply watch former professional footballer Curtis Shaw's reaction to Jorginho. Curtis, I know Curtis, he's entitled to his opinion, but does it mean that because he played football that I have to agree with every single one of his opinions? No, it doesn't. He's entitled to his opinion. I had an opinion about Unai Emery and everybody shot me down about that. And look how that went. I was right. Everything I said was correct. I backed Mikel Arteta when people were saying that he should be shown the door. And look at how far the team has come. We lose our second game of the season in February and people want to have a meltdown about Arsenal Football Club. Honestly, Matt, these people must have nothing better to do. Not Curtis, not anyone in this chat, generally speaking. like It's like this, this weird culture whereby, you know, let's have a meltdown at any given opportunity about anything. Why do people enjoy being outraged? Be frustrated, be disappointed by the performance today. Absolutely, 100%. I am too. Ask my wife. I came home in the most foul mood. I walked in the door in the most foul mood. It affects me, impacts me, but it doesn't mean I'm going to sit here and throw mud at people who have performed incredibly well throughout the season so far. Dial Square says, Unai won the Europa League, didn't he, Harry? Well, clearly you didn't listen to what I said about Unai Emery, which was that he's obviously a good, talented coach, but he wasn't the right fit for Arsenal at the time because Arsenal needed a rebuild. Arsenal needed a restructure. Arsenal needed to improve in so many areas, and Unai Emery wasn't the guy to do that. Unai Emery's very good at getting the maximum out of a lower-end group of players at a smaller club where there isn't, um, you know, where there isn't that expectation. You know, and and you you can see that throughout his career. Whenever he did make those moves to bigger clubs, he struggled. He struggled at PSG. He struggled at Arsenal. You know, he did relatively well at Valencia back in the day. Sevilla, the expectation isn't what it is at Real Madrid and Barcelona. There's a reason that none of those clubs ever picked him up, by the way. You know, that's, you know this is not a Unai Emery debate anyway. But yeah, I'm just saying, like, let's... Um, <laughs> this is not a, a go at anybody in the chat. I, listen, I I don't care, like, if if people disagree with me, I'm here to give my opinion. And, and if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't, and let's debate it. But when we get silly comments, like people basically losing their minds because Arsenal lost their second game of the season on the 4th of February, you can understand why it gets under my skin a little bit. Back your team, man. Support your team. Let's go to the Emirates next week and get behind the boys and get back to winning ways and get back on track because we could achieve something historic this season. One of the reasons we've been so good is because of that togetherness and that unity, as I've already mentioned. Don't let that go. Don't let the the toxicity seep through again, the toxicity that was taken us years to get rid of, the division that we've been fighting against for years and years and years. Don't let that creep back in. Don't be dragged in and sucked in to those narratives. Arsenal are still top of the Premier League, five points clear of Manchester City, who go away to Spurs tomorrow. Spurs away isn't an easy game. If it was, why were we so delighted when we came away with all three points? It's a tough old place to go. There's every chance that City come away from that game with less than three points. Every chance. If they win, fair play to them. We get back on it. We focus on Brentford. And then we come up against City. If we want to win the Premier League, we're going to have to beat Manchester City at the Emirates Stadium. No problem. Let's do it. Because those are the types of moments that define you and make you champions. You know, if Arsenal go and fail against Brentford again next week, then we can start talking about maybe the wheels coming off and maybe there being a lack of confidence and maybe this turning into a rot. But my God, look how it went last time Arsenal lost the game in the Premier League. Look at the run we went on after that. Believe, believe in the boys, believe in the manager, believe in the decisions that they make. Um, and don't write off players based on 28 minutes of evidence in a game that we were already playing poorly in, in a game where the collective wasn't very good. I'm sure in an ideal world, Jorginho wouldn't have even been brought on today. But the need was there because of Thomas Partey's lack of fitness. Okay, do you know what? I, I think I'm going to leave it there because I, I don't want this to become like a a thing where you're just kind of like going back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. I don't want to sit here and I, I don't need to defend Arsenal. Um, 
I don't need to defend the work that they've done so far this season. I don't need to defend Mikel Arteta. I don't need to defend the decisions that he makes because Arsenal are in a much better position than any single one of you out there would have ever guesstimated. Arsenal are, are having a great season, a fantastic season. There's way more to be pleased about than there is to be negative about. I'll take a couple more questions because a couple have just come through that look quite interesting based on the length of the comments. I haven't read them yet, but they look quite in-depth. So we'll, we'll do that before we go. Um, but yeah, let's see. Uh, let's take this one from uh, Banos, who says, Bro, I'm 41 years old and I'm waiting over 15 to 17 years to see Arsenal winning a Premier League. Sorry, bro, I can't be patient anymore. Mate, we, we're all waiting. We're all frustrated. We all want to see Arsenal win the Premier League. What, what's that got to do with it? Like, Liverpool fans had to wait 30 years to win the Premier League. We're nowhere near that yet. You know, and, and at no point do I ever remember them turning on their team the way that we do after one-off defeats. I mean, they got absolutely battered today, and that's a different story. Their season has been a car crash since it started. But... You know, people, fans always say stuff like this to me. I've waited 15 years. I've waited 17 years. How long have Newcastle waited to win a trophy? Like, no club has a divine right to win things. It's, you know, and, and Arsenal right now are in with a shout of winning the Premier League. What do you think is going to serve the team and the players better? You moaning and complaining and whinging about how it's been 15 to 17 years? or you getting behind your team, supporting your team and contributing to the, the environment and the atmosphere that has driven Arsenal to improve or has been part of the reason that Arsenal have improved. Be productive, man. Fans need to be productive. Fans can help. They really, really can. Look at the Everton fans today, how they help their team. Because despite all the shit going on off of the pitch, they backed their team from the start today. And when they got given something on the pitch in return, when they got to see the effort and the application of their players, they started to get behind them. And that atmosphere for them got better and better and better as the game went on. Highlighting my point that fans can have a positive impact on a football team. Don't get sucked into the moaning and the complaining. You know, yeah, you've waited since the last title with the Invincibles. There's Arsenal fans that waited that long length of time in the past as well. You know, that football works like that. You've, I bet you've seen Arsenal win a shit ton of FA Cups. There are football fans in the country that haven't seen their team win anything. Nobody has that entitlement. Uh, Dial Square says, simple question. If we don't win anything this year and because of a lack of funds, we fall behind next season, Harry, is it still going to plan? Well, no, if you fall behind, how is it going to plan? Like, what's like, what kind of question is that? Like, what are you trying to get me to say? Um, if we don't win the Premier League this year, would that be a monumental failure? No, it wouldn't, because at the start of the season, Arsenal's objective was to get into the Champions League. Has that shifted a bit because of the position we're in? Yes, absolutely, I accept that. But if we lost out by a handful of points to a Manchester City side that have won, what, four of the last five titles, would that be a disaster? Or would that be incredible progress? The fact that we even competed with them right up until the end. Obviously, there'll be disappointment if we don't win it. But, you know, it, how is that not going with the plan? And and again, like, you know, you're, you're, you're coming up with scenarios because of a lack of funds. Who said there's a lack of funds? Arsenal offered 80 plus million pounds for two players in the January window. There's not a lack of funds. We just couldn't get the players that we wanted for the price that we believe is reasonable. So again, you know, you're you're creating a scenario whereby you're going to be disappointed when it hasn't even happened yet. That's the kind of negativity, mate, that nobody needs in their lives. Um, Nav says, I don't think people are used to us losing anymore. So it hits hard when we do. Exactly. Exactly. When there's a big reaction to a defeat, rather than the apathy that comes when they come regularly, you can tell that a club is moving forward. You can tell that a club is moving forward. We absolutely are. Um, Kush Trim says, Harry, what do you think? Uh, why was Arteta so quiet on the sidelines? Do you think there may be an internal issue business-wise? I don't think he was particularly quiet. I think Mikel Arteta tends to be at his most animated when 
there are refereeing calls to sort of fight for. I don't think there was anything that controversial in this game. You know, I don't think there was anything for him to really go off on one about. I think he could recognise that his team weren't playing very well, that they were struggling. Um, and, and yeah, that's it. I think maybe the, the fact that it was Everton plays a part as well. I'm not saying that Mikel Arteta didn't want to win the game or anything like that. He's fully 100% committed to our football club, but perhaps he was a bit mindful, more mindful of, of his conduct on the sidelines because A, he keeps getting in trouble for it and B, because it was against a club that he does love as well, a club that he does have an affiliation with and a club that, you know, he wouldn't want to disrespect. Maybe that's a factor as well. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I am going to leave it there. Um, I'm going to go and sit myself down on the couch, relax, order a takeaway in and uh, watch anything but football for the rest of the evening. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow at some point. It might well be a late one, though, as I say. Uh, I am at a christening. I'll see how it goes tomorrow. I might uh, do it really bright and early or I might do it quite later on in the day. It just depends on how my day goes, but I'll keep you guys posted via the socials. So make sure you follow me. Uh, be sure to leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you are new as well. That really, really does help. And if you're interested in some more general football chat, then you can visit my brand spanking new YouTube channel. The link is in the description below. Uh, head over there and uh, there's a video dropping on there shortly, uh, talking a little bit about Arsenal's defeat, but obviously not in the detail that we've done it out here. And we'll be talking a little bit about Liverpool. Are they finished on the Jurgen Klopp? Has the cycle ended? Is it time for the Reds to make a change? We get into all of that. Check out the Harry Simu uh, YouTube channel as well. I'll see you all soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope it done some of you good. Bit of therapy, maybe. Don't know. Let me know in the comments. I'll see you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.